all the stars in Hotlanta. I'm Matt. I'm Paul. Welcome to Basketballers. So last night was the NBA All-Star Game 2021 extravaganza la, la, of whatever, basically, because of COVID and fucking it was interesting. Long story short, we don't even need to go into it because it's the All-Star Game. Um, normally, the weekend is three nights. It was one night this year. They condensed what's normally known as All-Star Saturday night, which has the skills challenge, three-point contest, and dunk contest. They put it all together, same night as a game. Um, it was Team LeBron versus Team Durant. LeBron won. Yep. Giannis Antetokounmpo was Durant MVP. Durant wasn't even playing. Yeah, Durant wasn't playing. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, interestingly enough, went 16 for 16 from the field. Yeah, five points, including a bank in three-pointers. So yep. <laughs> stars um, were aligned for him. Yeah, so MVP of the of the All-Star game. Um, Demonis Sabonis won the skills challenge. Anthony's... Steph- Anthony Simons won the slam dunk contest, which no one cares about. Yeah. And Steph Curry uh, reclaimed his three point title. So kind of whatever, you know, all-star, but the all-star weekend was in hot Lana. And speaking of hot Lana, since our last foray into podcasting, <laughs> yeah, things are getting hot in Atlanta. There's been a little bit of turmoil down in Atlanta. Paul, why don't you take it away? So, you know that we have bad taste in teams when our teams are the two teams that have both fired their head coaches partway through the season. That's how we're so good. I don't know how we looked into this one. Obviously, the Timberwolves got rid of uh, Ryan Saunders. The Hawks got rid of Lloyd Pierce. And this was kind of tough for them because Lloyd Pierce did a lot of Black Lives Matter stuff around Atlanta. He was very vocal in the community. Um he was big with the WNBA, the Atlanta Dream, and that yep. whole saga with Kelly Leffler. Yeah. He was I mean, really big in that, too. He re- he really stepped up, and he was speaking on behalf of a lot of coaches, too, making a lot of appearances, even over Zoom calls and going on podcasts and stuff over last summer. Uh, he was really outspoken about it and kind of putting himself out there, which was great. Um, he's a black coach, if you weren't aware. And, uh, you know, Rick Carlisle, who's head of the – Coaches Union sort of deferred some of that Black Lives Matter stuff to Lloyd Pierce because Rick Carlisle is white, <laughs> and it was it was Lloyd Pierce's time to rise up, and he did. And unfortunately, it didn't transfer through to the players on the court. There had been some some rumblings about some unhappy players, especially Cam Reddish, um, thinking that Lloyd Pierce had kind of stunted his development a little bit. And there have been a lot of injuries this year also, which it's kind of unfair to judge a coach by that. But the Hawks had lost 11 games in which they led in the fourth quarter. And it was, it's just one of those things. I mean, part of it's just being an Atlanta sports fan. You just kind of expect to lose when you're an Atlanta <laughs> sports fan. Uh, the infamous 28-3 and in the Super Bowls is kind of like the embellishment of that feeling. But... I mean, part of it's just because the sports teams there do tend to lose a lot of close games. And when that happens, you kind of have to do something about it. And you can't just put on the players. I mean, a lot of times in the end of close games, they just looked like they didn't know what they were doing. And that's on the coach, honestly. Like, it's part of it's on the GM because he put a lot of the pieces in place. A lot of the pieces haven't been there. That's just bad luck. That's also partly just acquiring slightly injury riskier players but at the end of the day Lloyd Pierce's wasn't getting it done on the court and so he was let go a kind of interesting advanced stat which has some noise is considered your achievement level in terms of wins so it's basically taking if you're expected to win a game versus do you win a game and the Hawks are the fourth worst in the league Detroit is apparently the underachievist, which is totally a word now. Right. So what Paul is saying, just in layman's terms, because I'm not as smart oh, as Paul. I, so I, for, ev- for everybody else, this is basically like, are you underachieving or overachieving based on your expectations? Right. So like, if so the I, Hawks are underachieving, they're like 
they're close to the top of underachieving teams. So this is like if I were to fight Matt UFC style, yeah, I would be expected to win because obviously. I don't agree with that. I think boxing you'd be expected to win <laughs> UFC style. Like all bets are off, dude. <laughs> yeah, that may be true. I don't fight fair. Come on. <laughs> all right, so we're boxing. <laughs> Absolutely, you you would be expected to win, and then it'd be like you. And so then it's like if Matt wins, my expect like my expectation goes down. So, so Matt Matt would be overachieving. I would be underachieving. So for instance, like the Wolves are fucking terrible, right? They, they so are. If the awful. Hawks lose to the Wolves, then they're going to be an even more underachieving team because the Wolves are so bad. Yeah. So to put this in perspective. Um, the expected win percentage, Minnesota has the lowest expected win percentage. So basically anytime they win, they're overachieving, mm-hmm. which is pretty true when you look at it. So what this is doing is the reason Minnesota isn't the most underachieving is because they've actually won a few games, but they're just so bad that anytime they win a game and you like, if the Timberwolves were to beat the Hawks, then the Hawks would be underachieving by a lot. Whereas yeah. if they lose to the Bucks or the Lakers or the Jazz, you're not really underachieving because they're expected to win. So, in any case, Atlanta's the fourth worst, which is just kind of, I mean, there's some noise in that stat, but it is, that does pass the eye test in that Atlanta's had some close games that they should have won, and they just haven't. So, it makes sense. I mean, they hired Nate McMillan in the offseason, who's been a head coach. He has a winning percentage overall as a head coach. He was with the Trailblazers. He was with uh, the Pacers before this. So he's he's um, capable. Seattle, I think, too. No, not as a head coach. Well, he are you sure? Yes. Okay, I'm not positive <laughs> that you're right, but Matt's Matt's staring me down. I did my research. We may have to look this up again. Anyway. I do want to add something, though. Oh, um, shit. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it caught me because ESPN didn't highlight oh. the Super Sonics like they did the Blazers and Pacers since they're Good defunct. Good shit. I did uh. want to add something, though, that Paul is probably too, too polite to add. One thing that's bothered me, and so kind of to like, and I won't go too deep into it because obviously I spent, you know, uh, an erroneous amount of time on the Wolves when they fired Ryan Saunders. I promise not to do this with the Hawks. But I do want to go, I, I want to drill down on the Hawks thing just a little bit because I think it's important to provide some context and kind of further to what Paul said. So first of all, um, one thing that pissed me off a lot about how this whole firing was portrayed was your major sports media, ESPN, Fox Sports, even TNT, the way that those analysts portrayed the firing of Lloyd Pierce was really interesting to me because they only focused on the off the court stuff, which is very important. And kudos to Lloyd Pierce for being so instrumental in all the criminal justice stuff, Black Lives Matter, everything off the court um, that the players care about. That's really cool. He just had a kid. Like, obviously, from a, a human and emotional standpoint, we care about that. At the end of the day, basketball coaches are hired and fired based off of, well, you're hired based off potential or your resume record, and you're fired because you don't live up to it. So he didn't live up to it. No. No, And and no matter the injury, no matter what, he didn't live up to it. And so while it sucks that they're losing, like, the league, and especially Rick Carlisle is going to go to bat for other coaches because he's the head of the coaches association, like Paul mentioned, but he wasn't getting it done. And – to further Paul's point, uh, he had alienated several Hawks players. For sure, Cam Reddish. For sure, Trey Young. And, um, it and sounds Trey, like maybe Trey Young is who they're building around. Right, and it sounds like maybe John Collins and maybe a couple other players. So um, it didn't. It just it wasn't working. Yeah, I mean, and, we we kind of said at the beginning of the season the Hawks' peak is probably the fourth seed in the East. When he was let go, they were eleventh which is out of the playoffs. It's out of even the play-in to the playoffs. And injuries or no injuries, like, it's not like Trey Young and someone else have been injured. Like, you've still had an assortment of pieces, and you've been in position to win games. You yeah, just they haven't, haven't. I mean, they have had – I think the thing about it, I agree with Paul. The Hawks at full strength, they're a dangerous team. 
They're they're one of the deeper teams in the NBA. They're more dangerous than most people who follow big market teams would give them credit for. They're a dangerous team. Yes, they've had some injuries, but they've still had, like Paul said, enough pieces, and they've been within positions because, Jesus Christ, I've watched more Hawks games this year than I've ever watched before. They've been in positions to win, and they've lost. So, Cla- classic Atlanta sports. Um, well, classic Minnesota sports. Too. So, <laughs> so anyway, now here's the deal. It's a two-game sample size as head coach. Now, Nate McMillan was filling in for Lloyd Pierce, and I think he was 2-1 and one or 3-1 and one games with, with Lloyd Pierce out when he was the just – just filling in for him while he had his kid. Yes. Um, but since the firing, they won two games in a row. The second of which, so the first of which was a drubbing of, was it Boston? Yeah. Beat yep. him by like 18 Boston, points. Because Boston's been kind of slumping lately. Yep. But the second game was against Orlando, who's a pretty decent team. Orlando always kicks Atlanta's ass. I don't. I was telling Matt during the game, like, Atlanta could, could trot out, like, an all-star team. And Orlando could trot out, like, the G League team. And they still might win. That's so, just how it goes. But here's what I'll say. And I, w- I was actually looking at the specifics of the game. I was watching the, the full-length highlights on NBA.com of that game afterward. Because I wanted to see. Because it was crazy how how much the Hawks were down for most of the game. With like six and a half minutes left in the game, the Hawks were down by 14 points. Yeah. And they won by one point. It, it was It was it something was, like the first fourth-quarter double-digit comeback this season. Yeah. Something like that. And... I mean, whether that's because of a coach, whether that's just the players responding to a change and being like, oh, shit, like, we're underperforming. We could be next, you know. But it sounds there, like a lot of the guys of wanted Nate McMillan, too. I mean, again, yeah. I think so. So the whole Lloyd Pierce thing, like, yes, it sucks from the perspective of him being, like, a really solid guy. But it sounds like from all the reporting that the players wanted Nate McMillan because they want to win. And it and Lloyd Pierce knew it too. He yeah. had a he had a quote a week before, and he was, like, yeah. he was like, "If I get fired, I'm gonna shake Travis Schlenk, the GM's hand, tell him thanks for the opportunity, and there's no hard feelings." He said that a week before he got let go. Like he knew that they were underperforming. It wasn't some like crazy stat that you know only Travis Schlenk knew about and was like, "Oh man, now he's gonna get let go." Like everyone knew what was expected that they were coming short of it. And who the responsibility fell on. Now, let me say this. I do think I would love to see Lloyd Pierce as like a GM in the future of an, of an organization. Yeah. And maybe he comes back as a head coach somewhere else. Maybe he comes, sure, maybe but he comes back. People as focus so much assistant. on his leadership and how he kind of oh, yeah, and he'll, shows this leadership to an organization. And that seems to me sometimes to fit more in that GM role. Or president of basketball operations role, and we need more black people in those roles too. People of color in those roles because, oh, yeah. and he'll he'll get an opportunity yeah. somewhere for sure. So I, I hope so. He's a great guy, and you know I'm sure we'll see him at the very least on a bench next year, um, or maybe in a front office. Who knows? Yeah, but he'll be on the bench at least somewhere. And Nate McMillan probably isn't the answer long term for the Hawks. He's a fine fill in for the rest of this season. Um, I think a lot of it depends. Assuming they make the playoffs, I have to tell you. I haven't even told you this yet. Stephen A. Smith, who always has garbage fucking takes. Yeah, this guess, is going to mean nothing. Guess who he mentioned? No, it, it, it's going to mean nothing, but it's just going to piss you off, and I'm, I can't wait for your reaction. I'll, okay, guess some of the names he named on his wish list over Nate McMillan for the Hawks job long term. Can bring, I bring Budenholzer back. No. All black coaches. Jason Kidd. Yep, was one. Yeah, that's been thrown out there, which is terrible. 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 Can I give you another one? Sure. Mike Brown. Okay. <laughs> Can okay. I give you an even better one? No. This oh, is no. the worst garbage fucking take. Mike Woodson. Yeah, I knew that no! was coming up. I knew that was coming up. So Mike Woodson coached the Hawks way back in like the Josh Smith, Joe Johnson. No, like... I, I knew you were going to say Mike Woodson. No, but that's what Stephen A. was saying. Like... That's because Stephen A is garbage. Of course. I'm just saying it's hilarious because this Steve- is how this is my point, Paul. The and I'm not trying to sound like Jesus Christ, a terrible former president, but the mainstream media. The main mainstream <laughs> sports media. The lamestream media. The lamestream media. There you go. I'll help so, you. But like but like your big guys like ESPN and Fox and those guys. They're, look, they're paid to have hot takes. Yeah. But like that you, is just you such You couldn't a, find a hotter take than Mike Woods. That's said. such an un that's such <laughs> That's just such a bad take. Like, look, 
How about if you want to hire a, first of all, I agree, hire a black coach because it's Atlanta and it's the NBA. David Vanderpool from the Wolves might get a shot sometime soon. Sam Cassell. Yeah. Right? So. I mean, there there are lots of options. And maybe it's Nick McMillan. Look, I, if the Hawks end up going on a crazy win streak and like end the season well, he'll get hired for a contract, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I, I would have a problem if he gets on like a five-year deal after doing something nice in a half season. I wouldn't. If he does well, I wouldn't mind like a one or two year to kind of feel it out. I just, I don't want to get married to him long term. Right. You know what I mean? I want, I want a short term, you know, like you got to prove it every year and we'll re-up it type of deal. Yeah. And if you don't, then we'll bring in Mike Woodson and fuck everybody. <laughs> that terrible take. So anyway, getting off Atlanta because I don't want to pull a Matt with the Timberwolves saga. <laughs> I had mentioned this stat that said Atlanta was the most or the fourth most underachieving team. What's kind of fun is to be positive about things and look at the most overachieving team, which is Portland by quite a margin. Actually, they've been overachieving a lot this season. And a lot of this is Dame time. Damian Lillard pulling up in the clutch. He's won a lot of games for them. Just last minute, last second, even shooting some big shots. I mean, that was when we were doing our top 10 rankings that factored in on, is he, Better than Steph Curry this season? Is he worse? How does that play into it? But good I would for, be good curious to see Damian Lillard on a better team. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Dame's going to stay on the Trailblazers forever. Which is sure. I'm just saying, I'd be curious to see it. Oh yeah, Dame. Dame is just so good though. Like he's carrying that team. Yeah, and they're overachieving this much. Like because he's never really had them. a number. Like CJ McCollum is fine. He's never had like a number two star. No, CJ McCollum is a really good number two, but he's not. Imagine switching Dame and Jamal Murray and having oh, Dame on Denver with Jokic. That would be. Holy shit, That man. would be fire. <laughs> and Dame gets overlooked a lot, but there's, I mean, we're talking about injuries to Atlanta. There's always injuries on Portland. Every year. Every year. Like, Nurkic has been out. McCollum's been out. Zach Collins has just been hurt for, like, four years straight now, it That's, seems like. That checks out. And, I mean, they've had to trade away pieces in the past to get other healthy pieces back so they can have some depth for these people who are always hurt. But good for Portland. Also interesting, the second most overachieving team is Oklahoma City. Which is not interesting if you actually watch in Oklahoma City because Paul and I have, for some reason or another, seen a lot of games this year. And They're, they're kind of a fascinating team. Like, we're, we're both super high on Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You're, you're super high. high. Yes. <laughs> Matt's like over the moon. I got the stat. I got the stats to back it up. By the way, Matt's like Paul's heard this, but I'm gonna say it on the pod just to put it on the record. He is a top 25 NBA player right now. No, not all time. (laughs) Don't put words in my mouth. Right now, he is a top 25 NBA player. Two years from now, you're gonna be like top 25 all time. (laughs) Hey, you know, I mean, Shea, Shea has been really good. But the Oklahoma City Thunder just have a bunch of nobodies on their team. The first game we watched, we were like, who's this? Who's that? Who's like, it looks like they went to but a But I want to give just... them a little more credit, though, because they're, I mean, yes, they're, they're nobodies as far as if you just don't watch the NBA. Or, and even, I guess, when you watch the NBA like us. Yeah. But these are some guys who are contributing and playing pretty good basketball. They're playing. I mean, some of that's credit to the coaching, too. Yeah, Mark Dagonaut, who's, it's, it's his first year as a, as a coach in the NBA, yeah. but he's G League coach. I think he has some Spurs blood, which, you know. He's basically got a G does. League roster, and he's making it work in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, they are, you know, they don't have a winning record currently, but I think we all expected them to be, like, near Minnesota. So Yeah, they they were not expected to be winning. And, I mean, they do have Al Horford, who's still a good player, and they have Hawks legend Mike Muscala, who's putting in good minutes And they for have him. George Hill. He, yeah, who hasn't been playing a lot. No, but, like, but... Yeah, Shea is like the guy, and, and and Dort. Yeah, Lou Dort. Dort's really good, but it's really Dort. funny to me because Dort they should have been like terrible, 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 and they're not, and they have the most assets ever, like in the history yeah. of the league moving forward. So they're gonna be able to make some crazy, crazy huge moves, and probably Sam Presti's. I'm I'm imagining in the next three years or so will build a contender again. Oh. If, if he doesn't build a contender around this, then it's going to be a disappointment. Yeah. 
that that's really all there is to it. I just want to make Matt cry a little bit. Um, <laughs> the the offensive efficiency. Oklahoma City is the worst for offensive efficiency. Minnesota is second worst. Mm-hmm. Defensive efficiency. Well, Minnesota's not too bad. I mean, yes, they are. Yeah, but not like terrible, terrible. You know the worst though. The point differential. So basically, how bad are you losing games? So this is, on an average game, how many points do you win or lose by? Yep. Minnesota loses a game, on average, by nine points. Yep. Next worst is Cleveland by seven and a half. To put that in perspective, the best team in the league, Utah, is winning by about eight points a game. So basically, if you played Utah every game, you would almost never win. There is like a nearly 0% chance you would win. Except, do you want to hear an interesting stat? <laughs> Except, it's going to be like, fuck you, Paul. No. <laughs> Did you know that it was, it was the first or second game of the season and Minnesota beat Utah? Did they really? Yep. See, advanced Min- stats don't tell the whole Minnesota the whole thing. started 2-0. and And I was like, this is the year. Like, every this year. Is, this is it. And then it just absolutely build, blew up in my face. Build those but hopes up. Minnesota beat Utah. <laughs> They're one of their losses. One of their seven losses. Even that, and they're still underachieving the most out of anyone in the In fact, league. I want to say it was a blowout win with we, Utah. Without, I, almost, I almost think it was like a 25-point win against Utah. Dude, without that, Minnesota's achievement would be like so bad. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some other fun stats. I actually also want to say one other Minnesota stat that's really, really, really fucking depressing. And I'm actually surprised. Paul, you must not know about this yet because it's you would have thrown it in my face. Every Minnesota stat's depressing. This is the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> this past week, so last middle of last week, after the Wolves lost the game going into the All-Star break, they became – they – you saw this? Oh, they, I know. I know about this. They beat, beat. <laughs> they <laughs> moved in front of Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When you're the Timberwolves, <laughs> they moved in. Just, let me finish it. They moved in front of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the, in all of pro sports, the worst team, the lowest winning percentage in all of pro sports in any sport, overall sports, franchise history. Yep. <laughs> so the Timberwolves are now the worst team in pro sports. And they're not getting better anytime nope. soon. <laughs> they're, they're adding to their lead, as you want to put it. <laughs> Atlanta overall is very average. Atlanta's franchise is very close to 500 overall. And historically, every season is close to 500. There really isn't a whole lot of deviation. It's better than being where the Wolves are. I mean, that is true. That is true. There are some franchises who are just always better, some who are always worse, some who are just always in the middle. I saw this stat last night um, when TNT was doing all-star coverage that Kawhi Leonard has the, for an individual player, has the winningest percentage of all time in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, 74% on one, of his games he's won? On one hand, that doesn't surprise me. On the other hand, it's really impressive. Because, I mean, he... He well, he started, into, with, he started with the Spurs. Right. When he so. came into the league, he started with a team that was built to win championships. So, I mean, he did that. He went to Toronto, won a championship. Right. And I was with the Clippers, and he chose a winning team. Right. So, a lot of it's luck. Like, Yeah, this the situation is obviously... If, if you switch Kawhi and LeBron, like, I mean, LeBron would have the winningest percentage of all time just because of the situation. If LeBron somehow went to the Spurs when he started in the league, the Spurs would have won like five more championships. Right. I mean, that's kind of my point. Exactly, though. Like, yeah. I mean, like the Tim Duncan, right? If Tim Duncan was in the top 10 for winning percentage all time, he'd be like, okay, that makes sense. He kind of came into a fluke situation. And I believe he is. Like he came into a kind of fluky situation and then went on to win so many titles because that team was just stacked. Yeah. So it's not super surprising. Anyway... Let's get us some stats from the first half of the season. Let's do it. It's the all-star break. They're having fun. We're going to have a little fun. The most points in a game so far this season, 62 by Steph Curry. Also third most, Steph Curry with 57. Been lighting it up. 
Bradley Beal scored 60, gets him a nice second place. In fact, we saw that game. Was that against the Hawks or the Wolves? I don't recall. No, it was Philly, wasn't it? I, I remember do not, there was I that we were recall. watching a Philly Wizards game. I think I think that might have been. Was it. it Philly? Yeah, it was the game where you had like fifty three going into the fourth, and, and then, then only scored. Yeah, I didn't, think that was didn't it. do a lot in that fourth quarter. You're, but I think you're up. right. I think that was Philly. I mean, that was look sixty points is sixty points. Oh, that's yeah. You're one of two players to score sixty in a game. That's I mean this season, that's crazy. Uh, part of the reason Steph Curry scored sixty two points is he and Fred Van Vliet. Are tied with 11 three-pointers made in a game, which is just a crazy stat. If you told somebody that stat 20 years ago, they'd be like, what the hell? 11 three-pointers made? Like, people didn't even attempt 11. Yeah, back in the day, like, I was looking at Larry Bird's all-time stats, and he's kind of considered kind of the godfather, the original good, like, three-pointer, three-point shooter back in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, I mean, just one of the greatest shooters ever. Right, but, like, he only attempted maybe two a game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like that even with the Reggie Millers or Ray Allens who are leading the three-pointer all-time made for a while. And now today's game, you're just attempting so many more that, that those records just got shattered. Yeah. But still, 11 made in a game is crazy. It's insane. It's crazy. Most free throws made in a game, 19 by Giannis, which Giannis has attempted the most free throws. He hasn't made the most because his free throw percentage isn't that good, but... He had a good night and made him. He's been getting better though. I've noticed his his free his free his free throws yeah, getting his, better. His form's always a problem. Sure. Uh, shout out to my boy Clint Capella who pulled down twenty six rebounds in a game, and Clint Capella who pulled down ten blocks in a game, which was against the Timberwolves when he got yeah. a triple double. <laughs> triple double, no assist. Love it. It's my favorite. <laughs> Uh, three players have recorded 19 assists in a game, so good for them. Uh, so TJ McConnell has 10 steals in a game. Shout out. Shout out to that. Yeah, he, dude, he had nine in the first half. And then he only got one in the second half, but still. Uh, I think that was, a, was like the first time that somebody had 10 steals and no fouls, something like that. It was just a crazy game from TJ McConnell. Um, also, I'm going to switch over. Pull up my other screen here. The total number of steals. Well, so TJ McConnell's leading the number of steals per game. Let me pull up. So TJ McConnell had that 10 steal game. Mm-hmm. He has the most steals in the league with 63 right now. Wow. Through the first half of the season. So to put that in perspective, he had 10 of those 63 in one game. The next highest is 58. And... Nikola Jokic and Fred Van Fleet are tied for 58. Wow. So, good for them. But that's just just to point out how crazy 10 steals in one game is. Oh, man. I got my, my web tabs all mixed up. <laughs> uh, Jamal Murray had 21 field goals made in the game. That was a crazy game. That was the game where he's twenty one and twenty six or five or something. Yeah, the efficiency of eighty five percent. Yeah, which he tied or beat Wilt Chamberlain's record for. I think he beat it. Yeah, for field goal percentage in a game because he scored fifty points. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Just that's when Jamal Murray gets hot. He gets hot, hot, spicy. Um, also, a fun little anecdote, Chris Boucher of the Toronto Raptors is blocking more three-point attempts per game than anyone else in history, which is just kind of... Chris Boucher is also skinnier than anybody in history. <laughs> Shout out to Chris Chris Boucher. He's having a great season, breakout he's... season, but when you watch the guy play, he is so skinny. I mean, he's tall, and he's lang- like he's, he has a huge wingspan. Yeah, and I mean, um, his... His shot form doesn't look great. No, but he's a good defender. Like, a very yeah. good defender. And I mean, his shot goes in more than I would expect it yeah. to. Yeah, so. I like him. I he's, think he's a good player. He's working. Most double-doubles in the league is probably obvious. It's Nikola Jokic, who's doing, like, everything on offense. He has 32. Next highest is Giannis and Demonis Sabonis with the Pacers. They Shout out have, to Sabonis. They both have 25. Underrated player. Sabonis is interesting because his advanced stats aren't great. 
they're not they're not like wow Sabonis has to be an all star. Miles Turner's advanced stats, I believe, are better than Sabonis's. Yeah, which is interesting because but, when you see the eye test, Sabonis passes it. Right, I think greater than Miles Turner. Right, I mean Sabonis just won the skills challenge, which is yeah, it's kind of a whatever fest. But I'm sorry, I have to just put this in here quick on that. So the skills challenge is normally it's like anyway, TNT hosts the All Star festivities. Okay. Um, for whatever you know about TNT and their commentators. So Kenny Smith, who was a guard for the Rockets when he played in the NBA, <laughs> um, he has this big thing against big men with skill and he was talking shit. And so it was kind of Dwayne Wade last night. The final for the skills challenge was Demona Sabonis and Nikola Vucevic from Orlando. They both made it. Yeah. They beat CP three and they beat Luca. Okay. You're better. And then D. Wade's like, well, CP3 was on this different side of the ball that wasn't his ideal side, and it's not his thing. And I think it was Shaq that was just like, stop. And I don't normally – like, Shaq doesn't always have the best takes, but he's – and, no, Kenny, and Kenny Smith was like, well, there's no reason that Big should be in the finals for the skills. That's just ridiculous. There's no reason Big should be. And Shaq's like, they were better. They which, won the past couple of years. They're better. Which is weird because in the past, Shaq's been like – oh, I don't need to shoot three-pointers because I just dominate the paint. That's what bigs do. But now he's like, I kind of wish I could shoot a three. He was saying that. Or, like, pass the ball better or be more skilled. And you know yeah. what? Like, It's the evolution so, of the game. So shout out to all the big men in the league who can pass the ball, who have who have good handles, yeah, who have court vision. It's not just guards that can do that anymore, as, ev- as evidenced by Nikola Jokic and his prolific season. Yeah. On all accounts. So, kind of fuck you to Kenny Smith, because that's just old school style of thinking that's like, the game has evolved. Is it, From when you played. It's just elitist, too. It's like, well, we're just better. Also, you played with Hakeem Olajuwon. Dude. Who, like, was one of the most skilled bigs and could do kind of everything. So, what the yeah. fuck are you talking about? And I guarantee you, Hakeem would have beat Kenny Smith in any skills challenge. Any any sport, any skills anything. challenge, anything. Kenny Smith versus Hakeem boxing. <laughs> Paul is a very pro Hakeem person, so will, I know I'm not going to get any pushback on this. There will be no Hakeem slander on this pod. No, I, there won't. There won't. Don't be. worry. I I will end this. <laughs> the only the only bad thing Hakeem has ever done is had Dwight Howard train with him because that was just not even worth it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say go up against Michael Jordan for too many years. That's just bad luck. <laughs> Yeah, but Dwight Howard paid him, so you know, whatever. Hey, gotta get that, gotta get that money. Yeah, Dwight, how Dwight, it works. Dwight Howard wanted to pay me a few million. He could train with me. There you go. <laughs> I don't want to take credit for him. But anyway, shout out to all the big guys who who actually you know show that they can be more than just a big force <laughs> in the paint. And like it, the game yeah. has evolved. It's become pretty positionless, right? You right. have guards like Russell Westbrook who can rebound really well. Um, that didn't used yeah. to do that well, as I mean, much. And, and Jokic and Sabonis are two of the best post players in the game. Yep. So it's not like that's, I mean, it's kind of interesting. That's not all they do. Like they're the ones who are out there doing everything. They just also happen to be really good post players. Yeah. And like seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. So good for them. Also on your Russell Westbrook point, no surprise here. He has the most triple doubles in the league. He has 10 next highest Nikola Jokic with nine. James Harden has eight, and then Luka Doncic has seven. So good for them. So there's been a pretty good amount of triple-doubles this year. There have been. And, I mean, Jokic getting them really isn't that surprising. He's got points, assists, Westbrook rebounds. Westbrook, Westbrook's going to get it. It's what he does. Yeah. I mean, it's almost trivial now how many triple-doubles he gets. I mean, he's averaged a triple-double for two seasons now. And James Harden's been doling out more assists. Yeah. I mean – He's also playing with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irvings, and Joe Harris. So, in like, fact, assists come he has easier. the most total assists I saw. Oh, we can get in into that. We can do this. Yeah. So the most total assists. It's close. James, it's not super close. James Harden has 345 total assists. Next highest is my boy Trey Young with 321. So there's a 24 assist gap. I mean, that's... That's a few games worth right there. Sure. Let's do some of these counting stats now. We, we did the some of the per-game records. Uh, something that was interesting to me is... Or was it? So the number of three-point field goals 
uh, is Steph Curry and then Dame Lillard. No surprise there, really. Uh, what was interesting to me was, first off, the free throw attempts. So Giannis has the most free throw attempts. He has 15 more than Joel Embiid. But Giannis is only fourth overall in the number of free throws made because he's such a bad free throw shooter. It's kind of a hack-a-shack situation. So, like, Bradley Beal has nearly 100 fewer free throw attempts than Giannis, but he's made three more free throws than Giannis. Bradley Beal's al- Bradley Beal is also a very good free throw shooter, and Giannis isn't, but, like, it's still a pretty damning stat when you look at it like that. Um, also, Trey Young kind of being a little foul baity sometimes, maybe, but he's third overall in attempts and second in makes, so... He's doing it. What's really interesting to me are the rebounds. So Clint Capella has the most offensive rebounds, and some of that is just scheme. Like Enos Cantor is second because you want Enos Cantor getting offensive rebounds. Right. That's that's like his skill. That's the reason he's in the league. Um, then you got other big men like Steven Adams, Rudy Gobert. Defensive rebounds, Julius Randle of the New York Knicks mm. has the most defensive rebounds. And he's not even their center. Mitchell Robinson's the center. Julius Randle's like a power forward, maybe even a small forward sometimes. Power forward. I mean, if you were to play Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel as your four, Julius Randle would become the three. But to lead the league in defensive rebounds is interesting. And again, some of that scheme, right? Like As much as I hate Tom Thibodeau, and I, I hate Tom Thibodeau with a fucking passion, fire burning inside. Julius Randle has been balling out for the next year. Gr- he's he been has great. been balling out. So the number of total rebounds isn't surprising. It's Rudy Gobert and then Clint Capella and then Nikola Vucevic, Enos Cantor, but Julius Randle is fifth overall in total rebounds. Good which for him. I never would have guessed. That just that would not have been in my top like fifteen or twenty of people. I'm actually surprised that Joel Embiid is as low as he is. And again, I wonder how much of that is just scheme. Sure. Some of it's just opportunity also. Like, if your opponents are missing shots, like, Gobert's leading total rebounds. A lot of it's the opponents miss their shots, right? They're shooting little push shots to try to hit over them. They miss that. It's a lower percentage shot, so there's more percentage for a rebound. You can get into some of that stuff, but still, it is is surprising just to kind of see that makeup. Uh, as we already mentioned, steals, TJ McConnell's leading that. Miles Turner is leading blocks, and he was leading at the half, and he's still leading. He just adds that league. Miles Turner is the block party of the Ooh, NBA. By They're, quite a bit. I mean, 111. In, next highest, Rudy Gobert is at 98. Except then the, the gap between two and three yep. is huge. Clint, Clint Capella's third, which is great for him, at 71. So there's the, a 28. The, the gap between one wow. and three is 40. Jesus. Which is over 50% of the total of number three. So, yeah, I mean, there is there is a massive gap. But <laughs> if, if nobody remembers, the leader in steals, which I was just remembering, was Larry Nance Jr. when we did this before. Yes. And he he's is, not even there. He's not even on the leaderboard anymore. Yeah. Nope. So we were like, that's not going to last. And it did not last. Uh, another fun one. The most turnovers in the league. I love this one. Trey Young with 149. And a lot of that's just, he has the ball a lot. Yeah. I mean, LeBron James is number two. So this is, <laughs> by this stat, Trey Young is better than LeBron James. And we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> also, number three is Luka Doncic and Zach Levine. So Trey Young is officially better than both LeBron and Luka Doncic. Take that, haters. Next category. <laughs> personal fouls. Yeah, so who has committed the most personal fouls? And this would this would favor the big men just because uh, a lot of times guards or even other big men are running into the paint. Right. They're the last line of defense. So it's not really a surprise to see Rashawn Holmes uh, for Sacramento having the most. Mason Plumley, DeMontis Sabonis are tied for number two. John Collins of ATL is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You would expect that to be uh, Clint Capella kind of in that protector role but it's not i love how dwight howard is number 10 and he's a bench player yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Nas Reed is 11. Hey. He's, o- he's only one fewer than Dwight Howard. So That's not surprising. Yeah, you can kind of tell when <laughs> someone has a family problem. But that's that's a that's a fun one. So the most overall points. This is not points per game. This is overall points. Bradley Beal. So the dude is putting up numbers. Uh, let's see. The highest free throw percentage was also really interesting. So this isn't Jesus. this isn't the number of free throws. This is obviously how right. many you make. Jordan Clarkson is hitting really close to ninety seven percent of his free throws. And he's he's taken a good number of free throws this season too. But let's shout out some other of these top free yeah, throw shooters. So ni- anything above ninety percent is crazy. Is crazy. I have to do a little bit of a um, deviation here. My wife is she and her mom have this hilarious thing about how they don't understand how NBA players don't hit one hundred percent of their free throws. And Paul and I have like tried to explain like. There's so many variables to it in game situations. You have like the the, the there, competitiveness. There are so many sports so, that are just do the same thing over and over. Right. Like if that was the case, bowling wouldn't be any fun. Right. Everyone would just bowl at 300 because it's the exact same thing every time. Yeah. But it's just it's hilarious to me that it's just like well that's their job. They should be able to do like 100 percent of the free throws. I don't understand. So these are players who hit. I mean, like Paul said, anything over 90 is crazy. Yeah. So. Why don't we do – let's just go down to 90 because there's 11 Shout of them. Out. Yeah, Chris Chris Paul's shooting around 95%. Josh Richardson's close to that. Emmanuel Quickly, the rookie for the New York Knicks, has been on fire. Yeah. He's been really good for them. Your boy. Gallinari. <laughs> he's is, pretty money, and his shot his shot's kind of odd, but – But it works. It works. Yeah, and, I mean, he's, he's at 93%. He's tied with Steph Curry. Damian Lillard, Kemba Walker, no surprise, the the guards who can shoot really well. Oh, and who's next? Carl Anthony Towns. Not a, not a high sample size from him because no. he's missed a lot of time, but still, I mean. But I do want to shout out specifically like Steph Curry and Dame Lillard and then Bradley Beals at, Bradley ni- Beals. at 90%. Yep. Those three players are such high usage players. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that's, and Chris Paul, too, I guess, I mean, at 95%. But that that's why Bradley Beal has more free throw makes right. than Giannis. Because he's hitting 90% of them. And that's just so unbelievably good that it can catapult you over that. And, and that's it, especially when you're talking about teams like, you know, Chris Paul's on the Suns, who will be a playoff contending team. You know, Steph Curry, the Warriors, will be in the playoffs. When you have teams like that who will be in the playoffs and you have players shooting above 90% of the free throw line, it's... It can be make or break in, in playoff games and series. So Bradley Beal is leading the league, I said, with 1,053 points. He has 243 of those points coming from his free throws, which is about, I mean, some easy math, a little under 25%. Yeah. So somewhere, but somewhere around like 22 23% maybe of, of all of his points are coming off of free throws, which is, I mean, create, that's, that's a huge boost to his game. And the fact that he's shooting 90% only helps. Right. Yep. Let's see. Rebounds per game. You already called it out. Clint Capella. So, again, one of the one of the skills is availability. So, Rudy Gobert has more overall rebounds because he's been playing more games. Capella set out a few games. But when he plays, he has one more rebound than Gobert per game. Bradley Beal's been available and scoring 33 points per game, which is insane. James Harden has the most assists per game. And Miles Turner, no surprise, the most blocks per game. 3.4, which is a lot of blocks That's per a game. lot of <laughs> That's blocks a per lot. game. Yeah, I mean, when someone has three blocks a game, you're like, wow, that was a good night for them. Clint Capella has 10 in one night, and you're like, holy shit. Capella's averaging 2.2 blocks a game, which is, like, very, very good. Yeah. In any season, that's like a very, very good to be averaging three point four is just like statistical anomaly. Yes, you're kind of like okay, that's a one game sample size, right? I mean, honestly, shout out to Miles Turner for for doing that this season. He's had a nice season with Indiana. It's it's been nice to see him and Sabonis actually being able to work together. Yeah, and Miles Turner's been always clouded with trade rumors for the past two years. Is he going to get traded? Is he going to go to Boston? Isn't it interesting how even though Indiana's kind of been not great. Since Oladipo was traded, it seems like yeah. it seems like Turner and Sabonis have figured it out better. 
they've, they've when been Oladipo in, was there. They've been in a little bit of a rut, but I, I do expect them to be in the playoffs. It would be a huge disappointment if that team was not in the playoffs. Especially when Levert comes back. Yeah. It's, shout out to Karis Levert. Shout out to Karis Levert. Get better. Let's see. So we get into some more of the advanced stats, the player efficiency rating. And some of this is where I start distinguishing who's going to be MVP. We're not going to get into that talk, but Nikola Jokic is leading the player efficiency rating. Joel Embiid is second. Giannis is third. Zion Williamson is fourth. Which isn't surprising with the shots he takes. Right. Um, he takes a lot of dunks. Go to true shooting because this is a really interesting one. And the number one player is pretty fascinating to me. Jarrett, Jarrett Allen. With the Cleveland Cavaliers, formerly yep. the Brooklyn Nets. Formerly the Brooklyn Nets. 71% true shooting, which is very, very good. And that's because his shot selection is dunks and layups. Now he, he is not allowed to shoot that side of three feet. No, but he's really efficient at what he does. Now yep. go to numbers two and three, who are not Op- just dunks and layups. Opposites. Joe Ingles and Joe Harris, who are having great seasons. That's insane. They're shooting 70. Their, their true shooting percentage, rather, yeah, is 70%. And so true shooting percentage is, and I quote, a measure of shooting efficiency that takes into account two-point field goals, three-point field goals, and free throws. So it's basically like Jared Allen doesn't take three-pointers, but that doesn't hurt him because he doesn't miss any three-pointers. Exactly. But Joe Ingles and Joe Harris both take quite a bit of three-pointers, and, and they make, make a, lot a lot of, of three-pointers. So the fact that those guys, they're not super high-volume shooters, but they shoot enough, and the yeah. fact that they're both shooting 70%, or rather their true shooting percentage true shooting, is, right. is 70%. It's crazy. I mean, there are some surprising names on here. Like Rashawn Holmes is the same Jared Allen prototype, but right. Rashawn Holmes has a nice floater. He has a really nice push shot from like 10 feet. I've, I've even seen him do it out to the free throw line. Uh, your boy Chris Boucher is in fifth right now for true shooting percentage. So again, his shot form is whack. The two that really surprised me here are seven and eight. Yeah, Mikhail Bridges surprised me. Zach Levine's had a really nice season. So Zach Levine is interesting because as a Wolves fan, you know, he was drafted by the Wolves. Zach Levine was really great when he first came into the league, like as far as potential, yada, yada. He was pretty inefficient. Oh, he was a chucker. Yeah. And he still kind of is a chucker. But he's He's become more efficient. A better chucker. He's shooting 44, (laughs) I think, percent from three this year. And so the fact that he's top 10 in true shooting percentage, he's good cr- for him. And he's creating a lot of his own offense, too. Yeah, yeah, because Chicago is, outside of Zach Levine, is questionable at best. Yeah, especially with Markin and Hurt. Yeah. Whereas, like, Joe Ingles and Joe Harris are more spot-up guys. I mean, they, they can both drive the ball and kick it out But some, they're but, still able to hit their shots. But it's a lot of catch-and-shoot for yeah. them. Whereas, yeah, Zach Levine is, like, no catch and shoot. <laughs> He's like, and look, Joe Harris has dribble. the has the benefit of being the fourth option of like three incredible options. But honestly, that is scary. Yeah, if you're trying to face them, and you're like, who do we leave open? You can't leave Joe Harris open. Well, right, because he'll make threes. Yeah, you can't leave Kyrie or Kevin Durant or James Harden open. So, but but, <laughs> jo- but Joe, I mean, Joe Harris will be an underrated piece on that club. Yeah. Yeah, I look for Joe Harris to play kind of the Steve Kerr to the Bulls type role. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Enhance Steven a little bit, but um, he'll take shots when people least expect it, and he'll make shots as well. So let's see. If we get into the offensive win shares and defensive win shares, it's sort of who's been the best on offense so far and who's been the best on defense. Just a very overall stat. No surprise, Nikola Jokic has been a lot. I mean, that was poor phrasing. He's been really good on offense. He has a 6.5 on this metric. Next highest is Damian Lillard with a 5.1. Wow. And third is James Harden with a 4.3. So he's been a lot better than anyone else on offense. It's just been an insane season. And again, Zion Williams since number four. So maybe we shit on him a little too hard. Yeah, advanced stats are kind of liking them a little bit. Yeah, which, fuck advanced stats? <laughs> no, I can't I can't say it and mean it. I just can't. Defensive win shares. 
Rudy Gobert with 2.5. So, not like, wow. Number two is actually kind of impressive. Number two is LeBron James at 2.3. And also, <clears throat> very surprising, Julius Randle with the third highest defensive win share. Well, tied for third, Tied like. Tied with, <laughs> well, tied with Giannis. I mean. Yeah, no, that's if, crazy. If you were to ask me who's better, last year's defensive player of the year. Right. Or Julius Randle, who's never been known for his defense, I'd be like, well, obviously it's Giannis. And they're tied. Now, I will say, Jokic is sixth, which is really good, too. I I mean, yeah. That's surprising. That is surprising, because he's not been known for defense, but he's one of the Steel's leaders. Miles Turner is seventh, which, given his blocks and everything, is not surprising. DeAndre Ayton being the eighth highest in defensive win shares. He's always... More offensive-minded, but if he can hold down that defensive side, he's going to be good for the Suns. Go to go to total win shares, and I just want you to <clears throat> say the number one and two players and that oh, yeah. differential. Oh yeah, I guess it's tied for two. But so so this is sort of the the MVP talk, right? Your total win shares, which is just offensive plus defensive, but the offensive number is so much higher than defensive that it outweighs it. So Nikola Jokic. Has an 8.3. Joel Embiid and Giannis, who are tied for second, have a 5.8. It's just not even close. The The scale of it is just crazy. Because from there you go down to 5.4, 5.1, 5.0. But that jump from 1 to 2 is just insane. It's just, I mean, that's when it's like you can debate. For me right now, you can debate between Jogic and Embiid, who's been better. Giannis, whatever. You start getting into this, and it's just like, ooh. So box plus minus, which is you're on the court. Do you outscore or lose by this many points to the opposition? And this is kind of a hazy stat, too, because a lot of it's who you play with. But if you look at it, it's honestly similar differential to win Right, shares. right. So over time, it's supposed to even out. Yeah. Uh, Jokic has an 11.6 to lead the league. Joel Embiid has 8.5. Giannis 8.1. LeBron and uh, Luka Doncic are tied at 7.5. Oh, and Steph Curry also is 7.5. So, I mean, you're right. It does follow a lot of what you expect, who are the best players in the league. But that gap, I mean, and this is what we were talking about. When I put, and this is some vindication for myself, this is why I put Jokic at number one for my top ten list currently. Like, again, LeBron is the better player overall, of course. No questions yeah. asked. But, like, right now, who's having a better season? It's not even close. It's tough to argue. Yeah, he's, I mean, he, by offensive box plus minus, he's having the best season. Something interesting, Nerlens Noel has the best defensive box plus minus, which, again, is kind of a hazy stat. It's yeah. not like Nerlens Noel is the best defender in the NBA, but it kind of points out that maybe he's a little underrated. Like, Marcus Gasol is number two, Yeah, which you expect. Draymond Green's number three. Jimmy Butler's number five, Giannis number seven, Andre Iguodala eight, Gobert nine, Anthony Davis ten. So, like, a lot of good names. Nerlens Noel at the top. Nikola Jokic at number four. Maybe, maybe it's scheme. Maybe he's just been in shape all season. He has been in shape. He's looked really good this season. He's dunked. Yeah. I mean, he's, the thing about Jokic is he's not a great rim def, uh, protector. Like, he's not going to block a lot of shots. But, I mean, he just gets his arms up. He has good hands, active hands, gets a lot of steals, forces some passes. And, and shots deflected is something that's so hard to quantify, but it's yeah. a, it's really important. Uh, so, the final stat that we'll, that we'll talk about is this value over replacement player, which is just a lot of fancy math that boils down to a simple Vorp. number everyone can understand. So, the warp, 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 Jokic is leading the league as expected with a 4.4 next highest Giannis with a 3.1 and then after that LeBron James with a 3.0 but again that gap between a 4.4 and then 3.1 3.0 it's huge it's just like everyone else and then him like Joel Embiid has a 2.6 2.6 is really good like <laughs> that's nothing to be ashamed of but then you're comparing that to a 4.4, and all of a sudden you're like, well, okay. <laughs> hey, who's that number 19 there in the in your value over replacement player? 
uh, it's a one Shea Gildress Alexander. Oh, interesting. I mean, if you were if you were purely to use this, the Vorp as a top twenty-five list, yeah, you could you could do it. Like you have some arguments. I mean, I'm not saying I would. I'm just saying you there's could, a lot have of some stats. arguments. But like Trey Young's is number fourteen, so I'll accept that. Here's what I'm gonna say, and I I haven't said this to Paul yet, but so I'm gonna make him commit to this now. Yes, I'm I, I'm ready to commit. I do think so. We've done our top ten. I think we should try and each fill out through a top twenty-five. Oh man, this is going to be debates. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Can we hate each other? Can we hate each other? Yeah. Don't we already? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like our you know our top tens. I think it would be fun because I don't know how many different players we would have in different positions. Our top ten, we had different. We had nine of the same players ranked differently, yeah. but we had nine of the same players. Eleven through twenty-five definitely requires more thought process. Yes, absolutely. It requires more of: is this player really better than that player? Have they been yep. hurt for longer? Sure. It's just been available. Yeah. How much do you value? Like, is Miles Turner going to get it because he's had so many blocks in defense? You can you can make arguments. You can also leave him off and be like, maybe three blocks a game just isn't that valuable to me. You know? Sure. All right. If you want a commitment, I'll commit. Okay. Put a ring on it, baby. Not necessarily next pod, but like sometime soon. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Okay. Let's do it tonight. We'll probably get off this and start going over our top 25. Double header. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we're look, this season has been really fun. It's been kind of weird because of COVID, but not bubble weird. But I'm looking forward to the second half. It's going to be kind of a rip-roaring romp of a schedule. Oh, they're going it's for it. going hard. But um, I honestly think that this first half of basketball has been some of the best basketball we've seen in, honestly, a few years. I feel like the the competition is a lot greater. It feels greater. feels more important than it has in past years. I don't know if, cause there's, if it's because there's 10 less games. I don't know what it is, but... I, I think some of it has to do just with their, there's no fans in there. Yeah, I mean... Or there's very limited number of fans. It's just... It's really cool. And the players are playing outstanding. Like, I think yeah. the top echelon of players this year is... It's pretty big. We've there's seen a, we've seen a lot of good basketball. Yeah. And then we've seen the Timberwolves. And then we've <laughs> seen the Hawks under Lloyd Pierce. <laughs> the only two teams with new coaches... There we go. How do we do it? <laughs> Every time. So, yeah, I look forward to um, to seeing kind of how – I know games start back up on Wednesday. There's two games on Wednesday, and then the kind of bigger there's, slate starts back on there's Thursday. There's a slate on Thursday, yep. So, um, looking forward to seeing the Wolves fuck it up again. And the Hawks start half an hour before the T-Wolves. There we go. So <laughs> – we can watch one defeat and then tune in for the fourth quarter of the other defeat. No, I think the Hawks will, Hawks will win some games. Under Nate McMillan. There you go. Literally see, Nate McMillan. See, this is gonna <laughs> this is gonna be your nightmare, Paul. The Hawks are gonna win like just a shit ton of games. <laughs> They're gonna get to like the fifth or sixth seed in the East. They're gonna just roar it, maybe even win a playoff series. And then they're gonna sign McMillan to a five year contract and you're just gonna be like, fuck. If that first half happens, great. Ecstatic. If you win a playoff series this year, you're, like, thrilled. If you just, I mean, if you compete, you take one to, like, six or seven games. But I'm just saying, if they if they win a playoff series, Nate McMillan's getting a big contract. If he gets <laughs> if he gets more than a two-year deal, I'm going to start feeling a little hazy about it. Yep. Unless the money is small enough where they could just, like, eat the third year. If it's, like, a three-year for three million type of deal. But I'm and saying you're if like, it's, like, a five-year five for, like, 20 million. Ugh, I'm not going to be thrilled. I'm not going to love it. That's what I'm saying. That's what's going to happen. They're going to win yeah. a playoff series. You're going to be like, and then they're <laughs> going to marry, marry to Nate McMillan and it's going to just yep. shit on you in two years. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> two years from now, it's like, okay, I'll take literally anyone else. <laughs> yeah, is Lloyd Pierce still a bit? I was going to say got, Lloyd Pierce is going to go back as Nate McMillan's like assistant feelings. in two years and he'll be hired. You know, there's, so there's been talk of Kenny Atkinson who was their head coach and then went for the nets and got forced out because of all that stuff. Steve Nash. And yeah, 
all that stuff. I don't love it though because I, you said in the past that he's more of a player development coach. Yeah, he was doing all right in Brooklyn though, so we'll have to see. Again, I don't think he'd be my top pick, but you kind of love the reunion homecoming story. Sure. So anyway, that's all we got for the first half of the season. Until next time, I'm Matt. I'm Paul. Thanks for listening to Basketballers.